Good morning, friends. My message today is titled, No or Not Yet? Well, let's start with a question. How many people does God intend to save? Will it be only a few? Or will it be some huge, large, humongous number? Well, is there any way to answer that question? And whenever we, whenever we come to a question like this, we need to go back to the Bible for an answer. So that's exactly where we're going to begin today. So we're going to ask another question. What does the Bible say? Well, Luke chapter 13, it tells of an occasion where Jesus actually discusses this question. And these are verses 22 and 23 out of chapter 13. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? There it is. That's a great question. The way the question is phrased suggests that the questioner expected Jesus to say something like, You're right, not many people will be saved. But I want you to note that Jesus does not directly answer the question. It is almost as if he says in reply, Listen, friend, that's none of your business. Now, Jesus doesn't give us a number or a percentage or any indication at all. The number of true believers is hidden in the mind and heart of God. He knows, but he's not telling us. But notice what he actually says in verses 24 to 27. He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I do not know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. In other words, Jesus turns the tables and says, well, friend, make sure that you are among the saved. I mean, don't worry about the others. And then Jesus reminds us that not only is there a door to heaven, but it's also a narrow door, meaning that not everyone will find it, and it will be easy to miss if you're not looking for it. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't get so wrapped up in mysterious questions that you yourself miss the door to heaven. While you're philosophizing about everyone else, make sure you find the door that leads to heaven and make sure you go through it. Now, I had to be honest with you, if we stopped here, it would seem that Jesus has answered that question without answering it. He seems to be saying that not very many people will find that narrow door. And, you know, that's certainly part of the answer. Now, Jesus even says that some people will knock on the door but will not get in. Well, who are these people who try to get in but won't be allowed to enter? Well, in this context, Jesus must be speaking of the Israelites who took his second coming for granted, who disregarded his message, who thought their religion would be good enough to guarantee them a place in heaven. So they delayed any decision about Jesus until it was too late. It's kind of like saying, let all religious people be warned. I mean, your religion will not get you to heaven. Now, most of you know I'm a lifelong Lutheran. I mean, baptized Lutheran, confirmed Lutheran, Lutheran grade school, Lutheran high school, Lutheran college, Lutheran seminary, Lutheran school teacher, Lutheran pastor. 
Uh, and I can tell you, there are no seats in heaven reserved for Lutherans. And I guess we mentioned Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The same is true for Methodists, Baptists, Catholics, Presbyterians, Mennonites, Brethren, Church of Christ, Bible Church people, Pentecostals, or whatever your personal silo is called. See, even if you attend the best Bible-believing church in town, do not think your church membership gives you a reserved seat in heaven. Plain and simple, Jesus does not save people according to denominational affiliation. See, without a personal response to Jesus, your church membership will not lead you to heaven but to hell. But that's not the end of this passage. Jesus adds two important pieces of the puzzle in verses 28 and 29. He says, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, God intends to have lots of people at his banquet table. Jesus specifies that people will come from every point on the compass. I mean, no part of the globe will be excluded. It's it's not like God says... I just want a bunch of Americans, but only a handful of Asians or Africans. I mean, no, that's not true at all. Think of it this way. When God throws a party, he invites people from everywhere. You name the country, he wants people from there. I mean, if our theology leads us to write off the majority of the human race as a hopeless cause, then perhaps we need to check our theology with the Bible. Now, here's another question. What does this mean for us today? You know, as we think about this, I just want to consider four important implications. Here's the first one. Because only God knows who is saved, we should be very careful about speculating. And I say that because sometimes I hear Christ followers being very careless about passing judgment on certain politicians or other famous people that we don't particularly like. I mean, people from my political persuasion can be very quick to declare that so-and-so can't possibly be Christian because so-and-so does this or does that. Now, to be clear about it, it's perfectly possible to claim to be a Christian and yet not know the Lord. I mean, Jesus said as much in this passage, but that warning is not given to us so that we will judge politicians or other people that we do not like. I've been saying this over and over. We have not been called to be condemners. We have been called to be gospelers. But here, the warning in this scripture is given so that we will judge ourselves friends make sure that you know the lord i mean let god take care of that politician or that movie star or that person that you work with or the person the neighbor down the block i mean it's not my job it's not your job to determine who goes to heaven that's god's job i've simply put i'm in sales not administration same with you Here's the second thought. Because God's heart is big, we can say that no one is beyond the reach of salvation. And guess what? This touches how we view the truly wicked of this world. Even if we do not want to admit it, we all have a hierarchy of sin, and we all compare ourselves to other people. Now, we say, you know, we're not mass murderers or drug pushers or pornographers. But friends, as long as we rank ourselves above others because we think we're not as bad as they are, we show that we do not understand the greatness of our sin or our desperate need for the grace of God. Now, it is not that God saves us and then goes on down to reach the really bad people. 
I mean, sometimes we say there is grace even for mass murderers, but we kind of say it triumphantly because we do not see ourselves as bad as that mass murderer. But the warning Jesus gives applies first and foremost to religious people who thought they were in only to discover too late that they had been left out. Corey Tenboom wrote something that I, I really like. She said, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. And boy, thank God that that's true. That means anyone, anywhere, anytime can be saved without regard to what they have done in the past. The blind uh, gospel uh, writer Fanny Crosby wrote a, a song that uh, I've sung and you've sung perhaps many times over the years. The song is To God Be the Glory. And she included a phrase in the second verse that really gives us great hope. That phrase is, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. See, God's grace is so great that it reaches further than your sin has ever gone. No matter who you are or what you have done, no matter how evil, you can be saved if you will turn to Jesus and trust with trust him with all your heart. Now, here's a third thought. Because God cannot be fooled, we must not fool ourselves. I mean, I've heard people ask, can Muslim terrorists be saved? Well, the answer is yes, if they turn to Jesus and trust him for salvation. Maybe we should be asking, can a Lutheran be saved? Well, amazing as it sounds, Jesus will even save a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Catholic or a Baptist or a Presbyterian. Now, I know it's kind of shocking to think about, but Jesus will even save self-righteous church members. Now, personally, I'm glad that's true because that's my plan. I'm a church member. I have my own share of self-righteousness, and I'm trusting Jesus to save me in spite of myself. As someone once said, there will be three surprises when we get to heaven. Uh, first, we'll be surprised that some people are there who we never expected to see in heaven. Uh, second, that we'll be surprised that some people are not there who we did expect to see in heaven. And the third, the greatest surprise will be that we ourselves are there. Now, no doubt all three statements are true, but I, but I think we need the last one because sometimes Christians can think that they deserve heaven even though we would never say that out loud. After all, we play by the rules, or so we think. Though in reality, we fall short, very short, extremely short, 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 short. But when we see the glories of heaven, with all the saints and the angels gathered, when we catch a glimpse of the glory of God and the beauty of Jesus, the greatest surprise will be that we are allowed to take part in that and to rejoice in that. Now, there's a forethought here, and that's because God wants people from every corner of the earth. We've got to go to every corner of the earth to fill up his banquet hall. I mean, that's why we go. That's why we give. That's why we pray. That is why we send our best and our brightest to the darkest corners of the earth. That's why people answer the call. The question is, why do this? Why go to all that trouble if not to share the good news with those who've never heard it? Now, we're not going simply because we're commanded to. We go because of God's heart that compels us to go. If God so loved this dying world, then someone needs to go and show them the way of life. Here's another thought. Because God has said that many will be saved, we ought to pray that many will be saved. 
if God intends to save people, then we ought to be praying fervently that he will do what he said he would do. Several years ago, during a break in one of the classes I was teaching down at Angola Prison in Louisiana, one of the men came up and he was telling me about one of his uh, friends that, that lives in the same dorm with him. And I said, I, I don't recognize the name or anything. Does he attend your fellowship, your church? Now, I loved his response. He says, oh, come on, Doc, he's not saved yet. Now, just think about that little word, yet. He didn't say, no, he's not saved. He said, he's not saved yet. See, that little word, yet, makes all the difference. If you say he's not saved, you're simply describing current reality. But when you say he's not saved yet, you're bringing God into that situation. And guess what? You have the opportunity to bring God into that situation. You have an opportunity to gospel people. That little word, yet, means that the way things are today is not the way they have to be tomorrow. Yet is a word of faith. I mean, this friend of mine was still working on this guy. He was going to share Jesus. Yet says, I believe God has some big work to do here. Yet means I'm praying for what I do not presently see. So friends, while you're waiting, do not let go of that little word yet. I mean, he's not saved yet. She's not saved yet. My son has not come back to the Lord yet. Hang on to that little word yet. God will not be defeated. He'll keep, he keeps scoring his own way. Now, we might be able to say it this way. God always intended to save a vast multitude of people. Many of those people are not saved at the moment. Most of them are not particularly close to the kingdom. They may not even care about the kingdom, but God intends to save them anyway. And guess what? He will. Not apart from human means, not apart from preaching the gospel, not apart from our prayers. There are some lost people today who will be saved tomorrow, and they have absolutely no clue about it today. We do not know who they are or where they are. We just know they're out there. That is why we wait and pray, and that is why we keep on believing. That's why we keep on gospeling at every opportunity. Will only a few people be saved? No. There'll be multitudes will be saved, and I pray that you are among them. See, our God is in the saving business, and he wants to have us be out there sharing that good news. God honors forward-looking faith. Just because our loved ones are not saved today does not mean they will not come to Jesus tomorrow. So we need to pray for those who do not know the Lord. And let's say by faith, he or she is not saved yet. Why? Because God is not finished yet. Father, we thank you that your heart encompasses the whole world. Thank you for making a way through your Son for anyone to be saved anywhere, anytime. Help us to pray boldly for our loved ones who are not saved yet. We pray for a vast harvest of people to be saved from every part of this globe. Give us a heart like yours so that we will love the world the way you do. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission and feel the passion. God bless.